Wartime efforts during World War I were quite peculiar. President Woodrow Wilson fed a flock of sheep on the White House lawn to cut down on landscaping costs. Germans experienced a ban on bratwurst, so the intestines of cows could be redirected toward making zeppelins. And in Russia, Tsar Nicholas II banned vodka to keep everyone's head in the game. More than a century later, one wartime effort for fighting COVID-19 might be considered equally as unique, running 3D printers. Across the nation, students normally busy innovating in their school's fab labs are home Zooming with classmates and teachers. Many makerspaces, however, are still humming with activity as teachers, standing at least six feet apart, man 3D printers to make face shields and masks for their medical communities. One such location is Chattanooga's STEM High School, a public school in Hamilton County, Tennessee. Teachers drove around and loaded up 80 3D printers from community schools, designed and tested prototypes, and are printing and assembling face shields and delivering them to hospitals. On a lunch break, four teachers at the helm of the project paused to tell us all about it. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with STEM teachers leading Chattanooga's 3D printing movement to help the local medical community. These teachers also happen to be Fund for Teachers fellows. Kristen Burris used her Fund for Teachers grant to explore the geology, engineering, and architecture associated with San Francisco's safe buildings to develop a cross-curricular, multi-grade student exhibit involving middle school science, high school geometry, and an after-school program. She's now the director of one of Hamilton County Public Schools' Volkswagen VE Labs. David Van Zant used his Fund for Teachers grant to tour self-sufficient, environmentally-focused, community-based fab labs in Peru to continue shifting students' digital fabrication and 21st-century skill development in the heart of Chattanooga's Renaissance. David is a chemistry teacher at STEM High School. Jim David and Michael Stone were awarded a Fund for Teachers grant to research, compare, and contrast historical engineering feats with modern STEM advancements in China and Australia to broaden students' awareness of STEM achievements. Jim is now assistant principal at STEM High School, and Michael is the director of innovative learning at the Public Education Foundation of Chattanooga. To fully understand what's happening in Hamilton County as it relates to the coronavirus, we started our conversation with Jim David by asking him to define what a fab lab is. You had yeah. a quote in the media this week that I, I had to go and check because I thought that cannot be right. Hamilton County has the largest fab lab community in, yep. the, in the country. Will you say that again? It's actually in the world. We're the largest K-12 digital fabrication ecosystem in the world. So MIT created something called fab labs, digital fabrication labs, where you can, you can build about everything. You can start from zero and build crazy. Right. That, that's what these labs are. Around the world, they're used with communities. Um, they're used for entrepreneurship. They're used with colleges. If you look up, I think it's fablab.io, you can see all the labs around the world. How are you seeing this fab lab community within this very advanced in, industrial, high-tech, Silicon Valley type community? What is that synergy looking like in the type of education that students are getting? Business partners. 
getting kids into the workforce and actually wrestling with real problems. So in the past, it was, well, this is, let, let's wrestle with theoretical problem-based learning. Let's wrestle with these random ideas, right? No, let's actually call business partners and actually have them give us scenarios or even better, give us a real problem that they're currently struggling with that they could use a thought partner with. And then our kids will prototype and actually come up with solutions for business partners. And then gives our kids this like, what is it like to work with adults? Because I mean, that's really 21st century. 21st century is we're, we're, we've left the silo, right? Like we're not silo workers anymore. We are a group, we're a collective that has to communicate effectively and work together. Unfortunately, the way education has been, has been sit in this chair, listen to the teacher, and we will tell you how to work. Our business partners have been very clear. We don't care what your kids really know. We want to know, can they think and can they work with somebody else? We'll teach them our product. Like We'll teach them how to do it. Can your kid work with somebody else? So well, I'm hearing you say that that's a combination, though, of hard skills, these STEM skills, but then there's also a soft skills component to that. Absolutely there is. Absolutely yeah. there is, right? It's like you, you have to learn empathy. You have to learn communication. You have to learn networking. Back in the day, factories wanted individual widget people. Plug them in. They work by themselves. But now it's about communication. It's about talking. It's about iterating and, and design thinking, you know, that, that human-centric part of it. And then these labs that we started, we, we were the first one in the Southeast to have a fab lab. And now we have the largest ecosystem. But the goal is to get kids really ready for workforce. So that's what we're shooting for. We're not perfect in any, in any perfect way yet, but I, I believe we're on the right path. I'm so proud to be part of Hamilton County Schools. We have leaders like this particular school that has realized like education's got to change and it's got to change for the better. And it's with input from business partners with input from college and community. And they're saying, all right, we're changing. You got to change too. Instrumental to creating public-private partnerships that make initiatives like Fab Labs possible is the Public Education Foundation of Chattanooga. Michael Stone is PEF's Director of Innovative Learning, and this 3D printer farm was his brainstorm. So we asked him to share with us how the project came to be. It actually goes back to a tweet that was sent out by a reporter in Boston, tweeted out a uh, version of an N95 mask that you could 3D print. That version ended up being incredibly flawed and not a viable solution. But Arnie Duncan saw the tweet. He retweeted it with a comment that I hope our school-based maker community can get on board and do something. Well, Jill Levine, who's the chief innovation officer for Hamilton County Schools, used to work under Arnie Duncan when he was uh, secretary of education. So she called me immediately and said, hey, I just got this tweet from Arnie Duncan. Looks like we can 3D print masks. We had just closed schools at that time, you know, very temporarily. But she said, you know, we've got this huge Fab Lab network with all these 3D printers. Could we do anything? Uh, that was Thursday, March 26th. Jim David and I hopped into a chat, got to talking. And another gentleman, another teacher, ELF specialist, his name is Matthew Craig. Um, we got it. We started a little chat that night. A couple of us had 3D printers at home. So that night we printed that exact mask. As soon as we got off the printer, none of us are medical professionals, but it was apparent that mask was not a viable solution. But holding this mask in our hand, we, we tweeted out some pictures, put it on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook, Instagram. It started a movement that within 24 hours, by five o'clock Friday night, we had realized that there was a real possibility to solve the problem with the face shields, that we could actually contribute to that. 
And it also rallied our greater community to jump in on board and figuring out, can we find N95 alternative options that we could create in our sort of larger, broader maker community in Chattanooga? Continue worked over the weekend, had a number of international calls, uh, Zoom calls on Sunday, uh, talked with folks in Portugal, in Germany, in Holland, in Canada, Japan. They're people that we're plugged into through the Fab Lab Network. So these are expert engineers, makers, folks that we, our, our whole group um, has been involved with. The STEM Schools Fab Lab, uh, where Jim David is, was identified in 2017 as one of two model schools for what digital fabrication should, could look like in school. In the and world? they were in the world by the Fab Foundation at MIT. That, those calls helped inform a little bit of the design. Concurrently, there was a, a guy who makes 3D printers. His name is Joseph Prusa. Prusa is a pretty common brand of 3D printers. His team was working feverishly on, on a handful of things as well. He put out a model. By Monday, we realized his model could be viable. So we printed a couple of those, made some minor modifications to them to, to fit better on our printers and to work with what we had available. And by Tuesday, we had, a, we had three or four prototypes we thought were viable. We took them to our local hospital. Next day, we collected uh, about 60 printers. The next day, ended up adding about another 20 over the days that followed um, as teachers sort of rallied and got them together. Kristen Burris took over um, sort of leveraging. She's super, organiza- super skilled at like organizational things and understands the Ditch Fab world. So Kristen took over organizing and uh, her and Jim collaborated to bring together all of the volunteers, getting the teachers together, building a master schedule, optimizing the workflow and the assembly line. And we found ourselves looking at this uh, production space and that, that David Van Zandt was particularly helpful. He, he understands digital fabrication, is a, very smart with 3D printers. So we ended up finding ourselves in very short time, in a matter of seven or eight days, looking at a manufacturing process of like how do you optimize production and assembly and keeping it sterile and observing social distancing i was spending days and late nights sourcing materials working closely with joe levine to source you know where do you buy this stuff in bulk i mean we we don't do this we're we're teachers this is not our domain we don't think about supply chain and logistics using terms that were way out of our skill set and vocabulary but the, the need expressed from the hospital and the doctors and nurses were was urgent. Right? It was it was critical and clear that they needed as much assistance as they could get. Uh, we jumped at it, and um, then by this this past Monday, we were uh, getting close to maximum capacity. We we're getting about a hundred masks out a day, or face shields out a day, and delivering those daily. By Friday, we will be at full capacity, which will be about two hundred face shields a day, delivering about a thousand a week. Still raising some funds to cover all those costs, but it just speaks to the community uh, in Chattanooga. It speaks to the partnership between Public Ed Foundation and Hamilton County Schools. Hamilton County Schools and all this hit. Um, Superintendent Dr. Brian Johnson, I mean, th- this rocked everyone's world everywhere, regardless of industry. But educators in particular and systems in particular had, a, had an interesting burden. We were expected to keep teaching, right, to have some semblance of normal for kids, but also thinking about nutrition. And there were some basic needs that schools meet all the time. Well, I have to give credit. Dr. Johnson, his administration, Joe Levine, did a great job of addressing those basic needs first and modeling that in a time of crisis, you take action immediately. You, you do your best to be well-planned, but you take action immediately and you write the ship as you sail it, right? So that's exactly what we were doing with this model was we were taking action immediately. We're writing the ship as we sell it. We're following their lead in that regard. And as, as we've seen time and time again in our community, um, we see our teachers right at the helm, right? Really, really demonstrating what leadership looks like. And- Michael, there's so many different different aspects of this being a success story. Is there any common thread, as you've said, for a community 
to even begin to create that type of a well-oiled machine. This partnership, this collaboration, this community effort, sort of this really collective impact um, effort is, is, is evident in a crisis, right? Because it shines a light on other communities that, that don't necessarily have this in place, but it's not built in a crisis. Right. These are these partnerships are, are built over time. It, it, it's a matter of trust and it's a matter of the willingness to be uncomfortable to move out of a silo. I was a high school math teacher. Even within a high school, it's really easy, uh, especially in secondary education. It's really easy because I had a degree in math and I was teaching a kind of math that most of my colleagues didn't understand. Right. And my colleagues had degrees in science and in English and they taught things I didn't understand. They were masters of their domain. It's really easy to close your door and teach in isolation. It's really easy to close a school door and, and educate in isolation. It's easy for corporations to do business and, and focus on bottom dollar and forget the human side of their business. But the reality is, and, and times of crisis really highlight this, everything, every business is, is human-centric, right? All jobs have some human element to them. Every industry, every career, there's, there's a human component. And these crises bring that out. They really shine a spotlight on that. Well, we're blessed in the Chattanooga community that... There's a, there's a moniker that's been around now for almost, almost 30 years. They call it the Chattanooga Way. And it really is this notion that you come together, that you have each other's back, that it's not about who gets credit. It's not about who does it first. It's really about can we come together to solve a problem that makes life better for our community? This happens to be a life and death problem <laughs> that we're trying to address. But we got here with 30 years of hard work from all kinds of industries, from, from tourism to manufacturing to education. And what we see in the last half decade, at least, is our public school system is right out front championing what it means to be innovative, to think differently, to, to put people first, and to do that without setting aside a focus on excellence. In response to the community's desire to help with this project, Michael Stone created a GoFundMe campaign. In a little over a week, $5,000 has been raised to purchase supplies with which teachers and community leaders can continue to meet the medical community's call for 20,000 face shields. If you are interested in joining this effort, visit GoFundMe.com and search Educators Printing Face Shields for Hospitals. All donations are tax-deductible and will be used for purchasing raw supplies in bulk through orders negotiated by Chattanooga's Manufacturing Association. We are learning from educators at the helm of Chattanooga's 3D printer farm that's creating face shields and masks for the medical community's fight against COVID-19. First, we spoke with Jim David, assistant principal of STEM High School, where the printing is happening. And then Michael Stone, director of innovative learning at PEF Chattanooga, shared how the project got started. Now we speak with two teachers overseeing the project, Kristen Burris and David Van Zandt. Every, you're so inspiring to everyone to be using what you have to make this difference and to be equipping the medical community with how many how many masks and are you up to and how many shields? But so far we've delivered about two to three hundred masks. And these are the face shields, not the breathe through masks. Once we get all of our materials, we could be doing two hundred a day. The ask from our local healthcare system is fifteen thousand. So we have a plan to do this through April twenty fourth. We probably won't get to 15,000, but we're hoping we'll have a thousand by then. Yeah. Um, that's our goal. Once we have everything we need at the same time, I think we can kick that out. I think mm -hmm. we'll definitely meet that goal. 
How are you receiving the materials? Any way we can get them. Yeah, yeah. We have a GoFundMe. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of groups like Under Armour has just donated 10,000 headbands, these little tiny headbands, yeah. because they're so darn comfortable and they're the perfect size. So they're sending us those. We bought a bunch of them. We basically bought every headband of that type it was nike under armor and uh we bought out chattanooga there are no more to buy in this town (laughs) and so we had folks reach out to them and they're sending them to us from all over the place like to to come and finish that order so we're getting ten thousand of those so that's going to be amazing we first started with you remember those old transparencies films that you put on the overhead projector (laughs) that was our first iteration of the of the plastic face shield well it was rejected which i totally get it was kind of hard to see through so that was our first try and that was not so great so then we bought mylar from a company and and different groups have been like, hey, I'll buy this for you and send it in. And so we've had a lot of financial support so far, including from Hamilton County. How are you getting these medically approved? They are not FDA approved. They're in an emergency order right now so that they are allowed to use things that have not gone through the approval process. They're saving their super sterilized equipment that's in low supply for the situations that still absolutely have to have those. Um, these, you can bleach them, you can clean and dry them. Everything is, is different types of plastic. So it, it is cleanable, but it is not what we would call sterile. So the media that came in, there was a quote that I loved. They likened what you're doing to previous wartime efforts, victory gardens, <laughs> women-led factories, scrap metal collections, that these printers are manufacturing a public service. You said that you were originally a, s- a seventh grade science teacher and were very content in doing that. And mm-hmm. David, I, I, I think you are a chemical engineer by education. And now you're right. manning this wartime effort to <laughs> create help for the medical community. What is that like? Well, gosh, you know, six years ago, I don't think I'd ever seen a 3D printer in person right? Like never. I don't know. My younger self would be so surprised with my (laughs) life. (laughs) I mean, I started out teaching chemistry. I got laid off from being a chemical engineer because my company was making cuts and uh, teaching was a short-term solution to me finding another engineering job. And so if you had told me five years ago, (laughs) I would be still a teacher, but yet still uh, being able to use 3D printers to manufacture things for the Mm -hmm. community. I'd be like, you're crazy. But uh, as a person who teaches students how how to use some of these machines and how to prototype, it's so reassuring that I know that the skills that I'm growing and that I will continue to grow in, Mm -hmm. they serve a greater purpose. And then it's always a good reminder for myself, but also a good reminder for my students that, you know, these skills always can serve a greater purpose. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about fun, it's a lot more fun to be with students all day, right? Like, it is. What do your students think about what you're doing? On the first day when we set everything up, news came in. Mm-hmm. They they did some stories about it. And I was going to wait and tell my kids about it whenever we had it more set up. But then when that news hit, that <laughs> night I got all these emails from students being like, oh, my gosh, what's going on at STEM school? Like, yeah. this makes me miss miss you guys, miss STEM school so much. Yeah. Like, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. And so they were just eating it up. They, they were, they were loving that, A, their school was like helping, helping the greater cause, helping the mm-hmm. community. And B, they, they were like, it's cool that the same things that you guys are teaching us and the same things that 
we're having to do at mm -hmm. school, like you guys are literally doing to help solve a real world crisis. Mm -hmm. For a lot of them, that connection was just really strong. And you know, they're, they're just super excited, but they're also <laughs> bummed at the same time that they couldn't be here. Uh, because trust me, if we, if, if we were like, yeah, students who wanna come and help, Man, we, this place would be full with students mm -hmm. who would just be loving to loving to help and just yeah. be connected and uh, be a part of this. But they're and uh, show us how to better it. use the three D yeah, printers. Know, exactly, right? Some of them exactly. have more skills than we do. In closing, I asked Michael Stone to describe the spirit he's seeing in the teachers who assumed responsibility for this community effort, in addition to continuing to teach their students every day. And so what we see is sort of the through line is that it's teachers who have shown the willingness to take the initiative. And the piece that we really get excited about with Fund for Teachers in particular is it's teachers who are already good at what they do, but they're eager to learn more. And they're so eager, they're willing to go through a rigorous application process to disrupt their summer where they're supposed to have, you know, breaks and time with their family to go pursue learning opportunities, both domestically and abroad. And they pursue those because for years and even still, you can get licensed as a master teacher. But we really talk increasingly about being a master learner. And I think that's what these teachers demonstrate is they're, they're willing to be master learners. That They've developed the skill to essentially learn anything they need quickly. And in this 3D print farm, it's a great example of that. Whether I want to learn new reading strategies by traveling to castles that, that are uh, embedded in nursery rhymes in, in Europe. You know, that was a fun for teacher group did that from Chattanooga a few years ago. Uh, you know, if that's what I'm interested in doing, great. But what's really happening is it, it's, it's cultivating teachers' ability to learn anything quickly and to pursue their own learning. So when we have a national crisis, an international crisis, like what's happening with COVID-19, that group of teachers have already developed the ability to look around and say, you know, what resources do I have around me? And how can I leverage those resources to be a, a part of the solution? I think we see that clearly uh, with what's happening on the 3D print farm that, that's coming together at STEM. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from our Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you to Jim David, Michael Stone, Kristen Burris, and David Van Zant for joining us today. The resources mentioned in this episode include prusa.com, that's P-R-U-S-A.com, where you can download plans for printing face shields in your community, fablabs.io, a collection of online resources for the international Fab Lab community and the current official list of Fab Labs, the GoFundMe campaign to support this project, and you can learn more about PEF Chattanooga's work transforming public education at pefchattanooga.org. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.